are we out of all the new superpowers? Have we done them all at this point? Yeah, lots of crossover here. We got a, a very similar character to Superman, like you mentioned. We have a speedster in this one. Who also wears um, red for her color scheme. Mm, very true. I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's there's got to be like one big one out there that we're not thinking of. I mean, what is the power that you want to see most? What are we missing? You know, while I was watching this movie, I was thinking about a classic of mine, and that is uh, Sky High. Oh, of course. Where all a the classic. kids had these different powers, and some of them had like A-level powers, like they can throw flame, super strength, flying, and then some of them had... They could glow in the dark. <laughs> yeah, one guy could glow in the dark, and then one girl could turn into like a hamster or a weasel or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's something we need. Maybe we need some B-level powers We need here. some more B-levels. You're definitely right about that. So like, what would your B-level power be? Like, what could be the most useless power that would technically get you some attention because you have a power, but it's really not useful at all? Well, well hold on, Matt. I, th- I think the question you're essentially asking is, are we in need of desert power? Oh, yes. My favorite line from Dune when they kept saying, we need desert power. I think I'd, my B-level power would be to understand Dune part one. That's all I can do is just like when I watched it, I walked away and was like, <laughs> you guys had questions? I totally got it. You didn't understand Dune? What a loser. <laughs> what if like you just had like toxic farts or something like that? Yeah, you already do. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Arnie's. We are three Celestials on vacation with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and I actually used my eternal power to secretly cause every good thing in history to happen. You're welcome. I'm Keith Baker, and I have a complicated family history. And I'm Austin Terry, and I've always admired the way Romans built their cities. Turns out it was just an Eternal. On today's show, we're doing a deep dive into the new MCU movie, Eternals. The MCU has been going strong since 2008, and it feels like with the addition of Disney Plus shows adding to the world after the release of Avengers Endgame in 2019, we've been getting a lot more content. In the last year alone, we've gotten three movies, four shows, and there are more coming before the end of the year. Despite all this content, I feel like we got something different with Eternals, something we haven't gotten in the MCU yet, and something, honestly, we don't get a lot with the superhero genre, an epic. Director Chloe Zhao is fresh off her Oscar win this year for Nomadland, and she came into Eternals having to introduce the audience to several new characters at once. She certainly also brought a new visual style and more practical effects and sets. Does it all come together, though? The film has been pretty divisive amongst fans and critics, and it seems not all are fans of this new origin story. What side do we fall on? That, of course, as always, is the question, my friends. So, Austin and Keith, give me your expectations going in, as well as your non-spoiler thoughts on Eternals. Yeah, my expectations going in, um, just I always thought it was going to be hard to justify that we have these eternal beings that haven't been involved in the MCU. And for the most part, I feel like they didn't for this movie. Their reasoning for not being involved in our prior MCU uh, history doesn't feel very prominent or like important to me. And I'm actually surprised to hear you say, Matt, that this movie did something new for the MCU. Because for me, I felt like it didn't do anything new. Um, all the powers seem the same as things we've seen before. The villain, I don't think is really great. There really isn't a villain. And then the team dynamic just doesn't seem new to me either. So for the most part, I did enjoy the movie. I think it's well made. I think the performances are good. I did have fun with it in the theaters, but I think I was largely underwhelmed by the final product. Yeah. I mean, as far as expectations for me, um, to be honest, I don't think I knew it was a Marvel movie until I was walking in with Matt and he was like, he's like, yeah, this is Marvel. I was like, this is a Marvel movie. So I guess I completely <laughs> forgot because I didn't watch any trailers on this, on this movie or look anything up before. I like to kind of go in more blind than you guys. So I didn't know anything about it going into the movie. Um, I enjoyed it for the most part. There were some characters I really liked. I liked the whole, the, the historical period moments whenever they're in Babylon and Mesopotamia and, and World War II and all that. I thought that was all really cool, but I wanted more of that. I really didn't enjoy all the all the moments in the present day. And as far as like the story goes, I think that it had good potential, but it just went too long for me. There was a lot of repetitive moments uh, that we'll get into later that were just started to bore me by the end. Um, I had a good time with it, but I think the more it's kind of the more I'm sitting on it, the less I'm liking it. Yeah, um, 
I'm still trying to fully gather my thoughts on this one. I, I guess I agree with both you guys that, yeah, I think it's a it's a pretty good movie. You know, it's definitely decent, not bad by any means. And in the theater, there was tons of fun moments for sure. And I really did like a lot of the characters. But overall, as a full package. Yeah, just a little long, kind of boring. The second act definitely dragged on a little too just much for my taste. And there are so many new characters. And while there are so many standouts and just really great you know, dynamics and arcs and relationships between the characters, I just think maybe they t- tried to tackle too much here. If they could have consolidated it a little bit more, I feel like that would have helped. And I agree, the whole villain element really felt tacked on. I thought there was going to be more to it, and the motivation behind it was pretty underwhelming. But again, to be fair, I do feel that way about a lot of Marvel movies. Uh, seeing the discourse online about this one and how it's like the lowest rated Marvel movie and some of the problems people have, I do think is a bit overblown. I mean, I think about stuff like Thor The Dark World and Ant-Man and the Wasp. I mean, sure, those are more traditional like popcorn movies, but somehow those were boring too. And those are supposed to be like fun, quirky action movies. So the fact that those were just really kind of not well made and boring, those are more offensive to me, if you want to put it that way. Those were... I actually walked out not liking those. I didn't feel that way with Eternals. I was bored, but I did appreciate the ambition behind it, and there were a lot of good moments. But overall, not super high in my list of MCU ranking. I think my biggest critique, and it's so specific to the MCU, but they introduced this whole new like race of superheroes. They introduced our new like big baddie, it feels like, for Phase 4. And all those things should be like big events for the MCU. And ultimately, it felt just like unimportant and like a side story. And I know that's like a very specific critique to the MCU, but I felt like they wanted this movie to be a bigger deal than it ended up actually feeling to me by the time the credits rolled. I think probably the worst thing I can say about it is that I'm really excited for the future of Eternals and how these characters will pop up in maybe a sequel movie or just seeing them pop up in other MCU projects. I think that's going to be super interesting and seeing how these immortal beings interact with like our more familiar Avengers is going to be really cool. And while I'm excited for the future, it still doesn't mean that this movie that introduced them was super exciting and engaging all the way through. So even though I'm looking forward to more, I don't think I'm ever going to look back too fondly on this one, if that makes sense. I think that's a great point because I do like all these new characters and I am excited to see what they do, but I'm not necessarily excited for Eternals 2. I'm excited for these people to be like side characters to our main Avengers. I agree with that. Um, yeah. So I think with that, let's go ahead and get into more. So let's throw out that spoiler warning. If you have not seen Eternals yet, we are about to get into everything, all the juicy details, all the villain stuff, all the reveals, and so much more. So go check out the movie and then come on back. We'll be waiting for you. All right, Austin and Keith, we are officially in spoiler territory. Before we get to all of our thoughts, how about we run down the cast and crew as per usual? Who wants to start me off? I'll start us off here. So this one is directed by Chloe Zhao. You may know her from Songs My Brother Taught Me, and she won the Academy Award for Best Director and Best Picture for Nomadland last year. It's written by Chloe Zhao, Patrick Burley, Ryan Furpo, and Kaz Furpo. And the movie's score is composed by Raman Jwadi, known for creating the music for Game of Thrones and Westworld. He also kicked off the MCU with Iron Man, and this is his return. And for our cast, we have Gemma Chan as Cersei, Richard Madden as Icarus, Camille Nanjani as Kingo, Lisa McHugh as Sprite, Brian Tyree Henry as Festos, Lauren Ridloff as Makarai, Barry Keegan as Druig, Don Lee as Gilgamesh, Harish Patel as Karun, with Bill Skarsgård as the voice of Crow, leader of the Deviants, Kit Harrington as Dane Whitman, Salma Hayek as Ajak, and Angelina Jolie as Thena. Okay, so there's our cast and crew, boys. We got any highlights? We got some positives, some negatives. What do you think? I'll shout out uh, Gemma Chan as Cersei. You know, I didn't like everything that happened to her character throughout, but I did think she put on a really good performance, and she was probably one of my favorite characters. Yeah, I think I got to go with uh, Brian Tyree Henry as Festos. I thought this character was the most fun in the movie. I liked how he lost his faith in humanity and then regained it through falling in love with somebody and having a son. Everything from this character when he joins kind of our main crew later on in the movie, I really enjoyed his dynamic with the rest of them. I think his powers are the coolest in the movie. And I just had a great time every time he was on screen. 
This is tough, man, because I'm trying to decide, like, what's the better performance? What's the better character? You know, we're going to talk about the characters in more depth later. So I'm trying to think of, like, what do I actually shout out here? And it's kind of tough. Um, okay, I think performance-wise, I kind of agree with what Keith said in regards to Cersei. It's like, I don't agree and don't love everything with the character, but the performance is great. I feel the exact same way about uh, Angelina Jolie as Thena. I have some questions about the character, and it did get a little bit repetitive, uh, I liked they were going for, but overall, I thought the performances was really cool. Some good emotional moments, and I thought she kind of nailed all the aspects of this kind of character lost in time and memories. So it was something different for her that I hadn't seen her do before, and I really liked it. I feel like Angelina Jolie is definitely asked to do the most in this movie with her character. Yeah, definitely. Least amount of lines, though. True, true, definitely. And that's kind of a general thought. Uh, maybe this is the time to bring it up before our roundtable discussion, but for a cast this big, I mean, there are quite a few people in here that are a little bit left by the wayside. I was surprised that Kumail Nanjiani, not in it a whole lot, Angelina Jolie, not a lot of lines. Uh, did that stand out to you guys at all? The fact that maybe they leaned into other characters more than others? I was mainly surprised that with Kumail Nanjiani's character, he basically just says at the end, I'm leaving, and then never yep. comes back. It's so weird Keith to me. and I were laughing about that in the theater. <laughs> like, so goofy. I get what they were going for. Like, I don't believe in this fight, so I can't do it. But it was still just kind of funny that he's completely absent from the third act, basically. <laughs> Same thing can definitely, definitely, definitely be said for Kit Harrington. Really thought he was going to be in more of this based on the beginning. And then he shows up briefly at the end and says the dumbest setup line. Turns out I have a complicated family history. It's like... Okay, yeah, of course you do. I know who he is. Of course you do. Of course you (laughs) do. But I was just laughing in the theater because it felt like after the fact they were like, shit, I mean, we casket Harrington. I mean, super well known for Game of Thrones. So maybe he should be in at least one more scene. So then they had like, they they had to FaceTime him in. (laughs) He just does one FaceTime scene like, hey, what's going on? You miss me? I miss you. (laughs) So weird. (laughs) Also, um, Richard Madden as Icarus, his shift at the end to be kind of the bad guy felt so weird to me we'll get into that later i have some big big issues with that other performance that i thought was good i mean i thought he was good in the movie but very big questions in regards to the character itself so all right let's go ahead and get into our critical reception before we get to all this juicy breakdown so eternals cost 200 million dollars to make and currently it is on its way to grossing 150 million worldwide in its opening weekend Good for them because the film is not releasing in several markets that the MCU usually does. Chloe Zhao voiced opinions on her home country, China, in 2013 and has since become persona non grata. The film probably won't release there. The same thing happened actually with Shang-Chi after the star Simi Liu made similar comments. And then several Middle Eastern countries won't release the film because there is a gay couple in it. And then other countries are releasing a version of the film without those scenes in addition to the sex scene between Icarus and Cersei. So good for them, man, making a shit ton of money, despite the fact that some countries are a little behind. Uh, In terms of critical response, though, the film currently has a 48% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is the lowest of the MCU to date. The critical consensus is an ambitious superhero epic that soars as often as it strains. Eternals takes the MCU in intriguing and occasionally confounding new directions. So positive reviews mainly praise the film's themes, visuals, and ambition. Specific callouts included the performances of the ensemble cast, the more naturalistic and practical effect-based environments were appreciated, especially in contrast to previous CGI-heavy MCU films, and finally, the fight scenes and action in general found good ways to utilize each of the Eternals' respective powers. The negative reviews focused on the pacing, long runtime, and limited character development due to the huge cast. Critics felt while elements of the flashbacks were interesting, they were placed at strange points in the movie. Some felt it was overly serious and in need of a bit more levity at times, and when there was comedy injected, it didn't always work. Despite the two-hour and 37-minute runtime, it still came off as rushed in the character and villain department. Motivations, goals, and relationships could get easily lost. Yeah, so like we said at the top, obviously, very divisive movie, uh, lowest rated on Rotten Tomatoes for the MCU so far. So did you guys have anything that you wanted to call out? I mean, since it is so divisive, is there anything on the positive or negative side that stands out to you that you agree with or disagree with? I mean, first of all, that 48% on Rotten Tomatoes, how is this movie scored lower than The Incredible Hulk? That's a big miss there. (laughs) Um, I know, right? For the negatives, uh, the call out about the comedy, I mainly disagree with that. I felt like, especially for a Marvel movie, all the jokes hit for me in this one. A lot of the comedy comes from 
uh, Camille's character. And I felt like every joke he had hit. Um, so yeah, I mean, the comedy I thought was one of the stronger points of the movie. One thing I did agree with on the negative side was the flashbacks. Um, mm. They said they were interesting, but were placed at strange points in the movie. I'm, I'm, I want to dive into this deeper once we get into our round table, but I definitely agreed that they could have structured that differently. For sure. For sure. Uh, to stay positive for me, I did like the fact that a lot of the environments were clearly practical, like in the jungle, on like the cliff sides, all that stuff. Like It was nice to see a Marvel movie for once and not have to rely too much on CG. Of course, like the monsters and powers, those where they brought in the effects. So I did like the environments themselves. thought that was super cool. I agree that the environment's really cool, but I did not really enjoy the action in this one. Um, so I'm surprised that that's a highlight from the critics. Yeah, I saw that mentioned several times. So interesting it didn't work for you. Well, it sounds like you guys both like the comedy. I think I probably fall more negative. I felt like I was laughing at times when I wasn't supposed to, uh, just because I thought things were weird. And then conversely, the positive I do agree with is I actually did like the action. I kind of liked how each Eternal had one power for the most part and watching it happen. Like, for example, this is one of the cooler, I feel like, speedsters we've seen in live action, watching her run around really? and how she fought was super... Compared to, like, yeah. first class and how the Flash is used in the Snyder Cut? Oh, I mean, yeah, sure. For speedsters, I, I feel like she just runs in a circle a few times and that's really it. I guess. I mean, definitely not a lot of her. She is one of the characters that just... Like, I thought it was weird that Fastos like, lifts their ship up out of the ground and then they go inside and it turns out Makari has just been living there I guess like I guess she could never leave or maybe she didn't want to regardless thought that was strange but yeah actually I thought some of that action was pretty cool same with like we've seen so many versions of the Superman eye beam type power but it was still cool seeing Icarus fly around and use it and punch things really hard so you know I thought the action worked but again for a two hour and 37 minute movie there was not there was a whole lot of it all right, so let's go ahead. Let's get into our roundtable discussion. Let's break it all down. We each brought some points to the table, some things we liked, some things we didn't, some things that we're curious about. Lots of questions. So who wants to start us off? All right, I got to start us off with the big question for the movie. Um, this film does have to sell the audience on the fact that Eternals have been on Earth and shaped humanity from the very beginning. They also have to justify their non-involvement or existence in the MCU so far. So I, I just want to know, did they accomplish these tasks yeah based on the trailers and what i knew about the movie i thought there was going to be more of that because you're right i mean it is a thing where even though these beings have been here since like 5000 bc um when you get towards the present day i mean you kind of have to acknowledge these crazy events that have happened in the last few years within the mcu and we have stuff like that i mean ajak talks about thanos and the snap and all that stuff and that plays into how this quote-unquote emergence is going to happen which they have to stop so, you know, while I did an okay job at doing that, and then like Austin, you mentioned like Fastos, I mean, he just kind of gave up that life and he found a family. So it makes sense to like why he, for example, wouldn't be involved in some of the more recent MCU stuff. But I guess my big thing that you mentioned there that I didn't love was, and it kind of ties into my other complaints about the flashbacks is whenever they do go back to it, it's like, okay, so they're trying to fight these deviants. And like at Babylon, for example, they fight a bunch of them and kill them. And then at one point it's like, oh, Cersei's making water. Like that's something she can do. She has like an elemental power so she can, I guess, give them water. Um, but there really wasn't a lot, honestly, of like how they influenced the world previously. I thought there was going to be more of that. I mean, Fastos talks about how they used my research against me and like they made uh, the atom bomb. So it's like, obviously, that's a big deal. But for a movie this long with like characters that have this long of lifespan, I didn't feel like they impacted things that much. And while maybe they did, I don't think the movie did a great job of kind of showcasing that. Well, and it was weird because they try to do two things with the flashbacks. They try to show you how the Eternals have been involved in humanity forever. But then they also set up the rules that they can't guide or shape humanity. They, they can only interact when deviants are involved. So they're almost like going against right. the whole point of the flashbacks. That's true. I forgot about that part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. And did any of them get snapped? I guess not. I don't know. That's a really good question. I don't even think they mentioned that. Huh. Well, that goes to my my point. It's like this is all going on in the background this whole time, <laughs> like, like during World yeah. War Two, And well, obviously since the beginning, but... Like with all the other Marvel stuff going on, these Eternals have been in the background this entire time. You've never heard of any deviants, never 
never come across any deviant like skeletons or anything like that while they're discovering dinosaurs and shit. And all of a sudden, these people are in the universe. There's also this big-ass celestial that's under the crust of the Earth that no one's discovered. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting a little bit too nitpicky with it, but... No, I think it's I fair. Know. I think it's totally yeah. fair. It feels All of it feels very forced. None of it felt organic yeah. at all. I'm glad we got through the movie, because now we can play around with some of that stuff in the future. But this specific movie, introducing all that stuff, was like, okay, this is a lot to take in and kind of like turn your brain off for a second. Yeah. You know what? It, it's... It's, I think it's just the writing because I think a lot of this stuff is really interesting. I like the element of they are kind of influencing society, but it's almost like the characters themselves are like um, copping out because it's like, well, we, we're allowed to do this because deviants are around. So it's like they feel like they can kind of help people and stuff, even if like they're not being directly threatened by a deviant, for example. But then the second they're all dead, it's like, oh, no, yeah, we, we can't do anything now. And it's like some of the Eternals disagree. Like Druig is like, well, then I'm you know, going to go off into and be a hermit. Makari, I guess, is like, I'm going to go live inside a ship underground for 7,000 years. So, yeah, I think it just kind of falls on the writings. I think a lot of this stuff could have been cool. They could have found an interesting way to have them influence things while still feeling conflicted about not being able to after the deviants are dead. But, and again, it just ties into the flashbacks being so random. So, yeah, I, I just think it kind of falls on the writing. I think some of this stuff could have been cool, but it wasn't. I think it's going to be really hard in the future films too to justify that like some of our some of our magical avengers like aren't aware of the eternal's presence like doctor strange and the sorcerer supreme and all that like we see them all the time looking through realities and like scanning the planet for danger so how would they not be aware of the eternals like i I think there's going to be some tiny things in the future that's going to be a bit confusing yeah yeah it'll be interesting to see the eternals have conversations with people like doctor strange or just other characters in general and see Maybe they did know elements of them, because one thing I actually did like, when you think about it, is MCU kind of recontextualized. I guess the comics did it first, technically, but I liked the names of the characters. Like, Fastos is clearly, since he has the ability to create things, he's kind of like Hephaestus, the blacksmith for the gods, basically. So it's almost like Fastos was a real person in this world, and then people created myths around him. Same thing with Thena. I mean, they named Athens after her, and she was... The, you know, the goddess of war. Uh, and then, you know, things just got mixed up in time. Not everything was true. And it turns out she was a real person that was a great warrior. Um, and then they just created these stories about her. So I actually know that now that I'm saying it out loud, I think that element of the Eternals backstory is what worked for me most. I liked that just based on their characters' names, of course, same with Icarus, flew too close to the sun. Um, like you could just kind of in your own head go, oh, okay, people created stories about them. And then that's why they have those names in these histories. So that, that part was kind of cool, I thought. Yeah, that was one of my favorite parts of the movie, too, was their names and kind of some of their stories aligning with different mythology characters. I thought that was awesome. So we're talking about, you know, the names of the characters and just the characters in general. We already referenced it earlier, but this movie, even for an MCU origin story, I mean, it does have so many characters, all of whom are being introduced to us for the first time. Who are the standouts specifically character-wise? Like, what characters did you like? Which ones did you not? The character I found the most interesting was Thena. I, I just like that she has, like, underlying struggles that she's dealing with. Like, she, I feel like she has more conflict in the movie than any of the other characters do. And she's having to wrestle with the fact that if she fights, she could kind of lose her brain and kill her friends. And, but she also didn't want, doesn't want to lose her memories of the Earth. Like, all that stuff really worked for me from Thena. Yeah, I like Thena too. I also like Gilgamesh as well. I feel like he was the one character that balanced comedy and seriousness throughout mm. the movie. And his action scenes were badass too. I, I I liked his powers the best. He just had like this raw, like strong ass punches. And I thought it looked really cool on screen. I really liked his relationship with Thena too. Yeah. And even though we didn't get to know him, like we got to know Gilgamesh in context of his relationship with Thena. We didn't really get much of just his character by himself, but because he and Angela Jolie had great chemistry, I was actually pretty sad when he died, and I was surprised I wasn't expecting that. So that was a pretty good death. Um, for me to stay positive, because I have, I have one character that I really thought got the short end of the stick here, but to stay in line uh, with the positive stuff, I, I really like Druig. I thought this was a cool character, and I thought... How you guys kind of talked about how Gilgamesh you thought was like the best in terms of balancing uh, comedy and drama. I thought Druig, they, that was the best in terms of showcasing the Eternals 
not struggle like Austin talked about with Fina, but the struggle to get involved or not get involved. And I thought it was good with him because, of course, he has the power to kind of take over people's minds and influence things directly. So watching him be like, I could save these people from dying. I could stop this from happening, but I supposedly I can't interfere. So watching him try and come to terms with that was really effective. And then his small arc over the movie of watching him where he goes in the Amazon and then he's trying to help people. But then it's like, maybe I'm going too far. And then by the end, he has to kind of hand the keys over to Cersei a bit. Um, I like that character because I thought that was really, for the most part, the only time in the movie where we got interesting stuff about should I interfere or should I not because of his power specifically. Yeah, the the character I have the most questions about is um, Salma Hayek's Ajax. I yeah. was confused, first mm-hmm. of all, what her actual powers are. I was confused why she is the one that can talk to the Celestials. Like, what, what does she do to get chosen? For an actress as big as Salma Hayek, she was hardly in the movie. Yeah, that is a classic example of they told us. They didn't show us. Like, your, your question's awesome. We can't really answer at all because the only thing we can say is the writers told us that she's the leader, which means that she can talk to the Celestials. I mean, there's no reason shown to us in the movie, like, why she is, you know the chosen one or the leader i mean they just said she is and then we kind of have to go okay i guess that's why it also seems like she can't fight or defend herself because when she gets thrown into the deviants she just has to grab a shotgun she has like no powers that she can defend herself with yeah i don't know what her powers were she i know she's a healer but beyond that i don't know what else she can do all these guys are designed by a celestial right so why did he give druig the power to mind control if he can't even use it if he can only fight deviants, he's not mind-controlling deviants, is he? It's a good point. Like, I don't know if he is. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's kind of a good point. Like, he was created to not interfere, but his power is like, he kind of has to. <laughs> he can't really do anything else, yeah. It also seems like if you're an, an all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the universe celestial, there's got to be a better system than, first I'm going to send predators to all these planets, and then I'm going to send superheroes. Yeah, I, I honestly didn't really understand that part. And I, I, I was, you know, I heard what he said. He, they tried to justify in like a couple minutes, like why the deviants exist and then why the Eternals exist to stop them. It was just like a bullshit explanation of, well, the deviants exist to kill everything to make sure that the humans are like, I guess evolution can happen. But then they're also bad. Oops, my bad. So I have to create Eternals to go stop them. Very goofy. The deviants and the Celestials kind of are combined, our main antagonists for the film. How did this work for you guys? Was it jumbled? Did they do a good job of explaining all of this? For me, the the biggest thing that didn't work with the Deviants is they introduced that main one who can absorb their powers and is talking to them, but we never understand where he comes from, and then he yeah. just kind of disappears at the end of the movie after he fights Thena. Like, for somebody who played such a large role for two-thirds of the movie, he's hardly in the third act. Because he was talking to Thena like he knew her. It's like, ah, oh, Thena, it's been so long, or yeah. something like that. Like, since when? <laughs> <laughs> and were you this, like, weird humanoid creature before? Like, did you devolve into the monster yeah. and then that, evolve that again when you killed Ajax? Like, they just never under, they never explained where Kurgo comes from. Yeah, that was weird to me. Um, And then just, like, in general, talking about how they handled it, I thought the Deviants, while a big part of the movie, were the worst part, just because... It ties back to the character thing. It's like there are so many characters and heroes they have to introduce because I guess they felt the need to introduce everybody from the comics. I'm assuming like this must be the Eternals lineup. They didn't cut anybody. The Eternals comics is just like a one off 19 issue thing. It's not like an ongoing series. So I think you have to do them all at once. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So then to that point. There was just so many people to get to know and for them to explain their backstories and relationships that it didn't leave a lot of time to develop the villains like if they had just stayed these like kind of scary monsters that probably would have been just as effective like we have to stop these monsters they're back instead they were like well we'll introduce crow bill skarsgård will voice the leader in a few scenes and it's like why like keith and i were laughing in the theater in the final fight whenever they're fighting icarus and like each character is like using their powers on him and then out of nowhere crow just jumps in and punches him and then there's like a weird moment where they're like oh is he on our side? And it's like, no, he's not. And then they fight him. Like, it was just so weird. It felt so shoved in. And it's like, if you want to develop Crow, then you can't have Icarus be the bad guy either. And if you want Icarus's, like, twist to be the bad guy, then you can't have this weird Crow evolution into this talking thing. Like, just so 
weird how they handled the villains. That's a great point, because Crow could have just played the part of Icarus in the third act. You could have had all the Eternals fighting him. And yeah, for me, I don't know how you felt, Austin. Keith and I talked about it a little bit, but pretty much right from when Icarus was introduced in modern day, and definitely when they went to Ajax and found her body, I was like, Icarus did it. I just... The way the movie was structured and the way they used his character, like he's always standing in the background, always making comments. Uh, Ajax chose Cersei to be the leader. I was like, yeah, I, I just feel like Icarus is the bad guy here. And then at the end, that was confirmed. So that was disappointing for me. And then at least if the motivation would have been good, I would have kind of gotten over that. But his motivation is just, I was created to do this and I'm going to do it. And there's like, there's no humanity to it at all. And it was, it was kind of disappointing. I, I didn't like that. Him being really bought into the Celestial's plan and not having humanity actually worked for me a little bit because he's not a human. And so I was fine with that. The thing that didn't work for me is for the majority of the movie, they keep talking about how he left and came back. And so I thought there was going to be a bigger thing about what he did while he was gone and like where he went and all that. And that never got really got resolved at all. They just put in so much work with him being all lovey-dovey with uh, Cersei and all that just to throw it all away at the end like they had yeah so many scenes they could have cut of him just telling his love for Cersei to her all the time and then at the yeah. end it's like yeah fuck you Cersei I'm gonna, do my, I'm gonna do what we have to do and then he says like the classic villain thing he's like I don't want to kill her but if I have to I will it's like whoa and if I don't I'll throw myself into the sun oh <laughs> I was shocked I was telling Keith how is it that like they just they should have just had him fly off and it's like, oh, wow. OK, Icarus, is he going to come back in the future as a bad guy, maybe or maybe a good guy? Will he be reformed? And it's like, no, he's just literally his name's Icarus. So he has to kill kill himself by flying into the sun. I was like, OK, whatever. Uh, so what about the Celestials? We just came off of Thanos, who's a Titan. And now we're kind of moving up the tier to the next level of baddies. What did that? How did this feel for you guys in the movie? Didn't quite understand like the lore behind it. So what did the Celestials do once they destroy the Earth? So the Celestials born in the Earth, and because Celestials are so powerful and they can harness so much energy, when a new Celestial is born, they then create another solar system, which gives birth to a lot more life in the universe. That's what the gold hand was reaching out at the end. That was like this new Celestial. And that's why Kingo, exactly to Austin's point, that's why Camille Nanjiani as Kingo doesn't participate because his reasoning is... I don't like Icarus, you know, I'll fight him because of what he just did to us. But I do agree with him that if we stop this from happening, if we stop the Celestial from being born, that will stop that new Celestial from creating a solar system and billions and billions of future lives. So I don't want to be a part of that. I'm not going to stop it because I think those people should live. So I'm just going to go away. The Celestials in general, I mean, it was cool to see them like in the forefront for once, because I don't know if you guys remember, but I mean, we've actually seen Celestials before um, in Guardians of the Galaxy back in 2014. Uh, the nowhere, like that crazy, like fun market is the head of a Celestial that they created like a town inside of. And then whenever they talk to Benicio del Toro, he shows them, here are the Infinity Stones, and it shows them like flashes of Celestials, like walking the earth with the stones and stuff like that. So we've seen hints of them before. And then in the second one, we see Ego, played by Kurt Russell, who's also a celestial um, that kind of, you know, takes the form of both a human, but he's also like the actual like living planet. So are they not always like space robots then? Yeah, I guess I'm not sure. I guess Ego being like a planet, maybe some of them look different. I'm not entirely sure. And same with the Collector. I, I, I could be wrong, but I think Benicio Del Toro's character, he might be a celestial. I've always thought he was too. I also think that Jeff Goldblum from Thor Ragnarok, the Grandmaster, that might be a Celestial also. I'm not fully sure. So maybe they can take different forms. But seeing the red one, Arashem, who's like apparently the judge, like he passes judgment. Cool in concept. But again, there just wasn't that much of it. And it was kind of, what are his goals? He only talks to Ajax and then Cersei later. And then at the very end, I was kind of confused watching that final scene. It's just like, I'm going to go through your memories and decide if the choice you made was worth it. Is humanity worth it? And then they just disappear. I did like the way it looked with him yeah. hovering in the atmosphere. That looked awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It just leaves so many questions. So, you know, not bad, but maybe we'll get more in the future. So I didn't really care for how much time they spent in the present. And uh, so I thought they were going to be like coinciding with more historical events. So 
I was kind of disappointed whenever they had so much time in the present because I thought they were going to get more like in the medieval times and their their influence in that or we had a World War II scene. It would have been cool to have like a like American Revolution scene or something like that, just going along with more historical events and then then ending up in the present and maybe finishing off in the present. would have been cool. And it was what I was expecting. So were you guys cool with it just jumping back to these different uh, time periods or you would have... Or would you have liked like a more linear chronological approach to it? Yeah, I would have actually rather had this whole movie take place jumping through time, starting when they landed and then just move towards the present day. And then I, th- I think I would have honestly rather had the third act be kind of the MCU as we know it. And then just them explaining why they weren't involved in all of our MCU history as well. Yeah, I'm assuming they didn't do that because then it wouldn't have been like an MCU movie at all. Like they probably felt like, well, we have to have like a bunch of present day stuff. That way you can kind of in your mind go, okay, so they're existing at the same time that our other characters are. I get that. But I kind of agree with you guys. I feel like if they had just committed to it, like, you know what? Sure, this this movie won't have a lot of connections to other stuff, but we'll just have the Eternals be created, have them land and have them kind of live this life. They can still fight the Deviants. They can still fight Crow, even. Icarus can still turn at some point. Crow could have been our bad guy throughout time, which would have been cool. Yeah. And then the ending, like you guys said, could have been something similar, but then that's when it takes place in present day. And yeah, like that wouldn't have a lot to do with the MCU, but it still probably would have been good, and it would have made a hell of a lot more sense. And also, you know, when you think about it, you know what other movie doesn't have like any connection to the MCU? The first Guardians. I mean, yes, Thanos pops up briefly, but that was really the first time we met him. So you can still make movies in the MCU that don't have to do with anything at that time. Because then when it's over, I can go in my head, wow, I can't wait to see what the Eternals, like how they're going to interact with characters in the future. It's the exact same thing I thought when watching Guardians for the first time. Saw it four times in theaters. I loved it so much. And I was like, can you guys imagine like what it's going to be like when Star-Lord and Gamora and Drax, like whenever they meet our other Avengers, and when they did years later, it was awesome. But I wasn't concerned about that in 2014 because that movie was so good on its own. This one does not have that same thing. This one isn't great on its own because they weirdly try and force in present-day stuff and weird references to other things that I think it just got lost along the way. Yeah, I think it also could have been like, from the time they land on Earth, Crow is trying to birth a Celestial and they're trying to stop him. And that could have been like their fight through generations, through time. That also would have justified why they're not involved with all the Thanos stuff is because, you know, the Avengers got that. We're handling Crow. Like, I just think there's a, a different way to tell the same story that would have made a lot more sense just as an interesting movie and as an MCU movie, too. Yeah. And because they can't interfere with anything going on within the humans on Earth, it would have been cool to see them like, I don't know, like one of them up on a hilltop, like overlooking like the battle in Wakanda and all that, just like saying like, I wish we could, I wish we could interfere, but we can't just like watching something that's going on that we've seen in the past MCU uh, films. Maybe have one of them inadvertently create Wakanda initially. Yeah. I don't know what Wakanda's lore is in the MCU. I guess there was something about a meteor that had vibranium, but you know, maybe like Fastos like inadvertently created it and then just had to leave because he can't interfere or something. But like you said, Keith, when we talked about it, I thought there was going to be a lot more of that. Like somehow seeing sequences, and it can just be CG, but of like previous MCU stuff. And in the World War II, is like, how cool would it have been if just like one of the Captain America First Avenger montages is going on that we watched in that movie. And then you see like an Eternal in the background or just mm-hmm. something going on. That's what I expected. So, you know, I guess I shouldn't have gotten my hopes up, but based on the trailers and the way they were setting it up, that's what I was thinking was going to happen. That's my biggest issue with the movie is I don't feel like they justified the Eternals existence and the Eternals like non-involvement in the past MCU stuff. I agree. I think it's a good point. All right, guys, we got to talk about the third act and the ending itself. So how did we feel about the final fight against Icarus and Crow with the whole Celestial coming back that we talked about? We see the remaining Eternals unite to stop them. And then after that, of course, we see some of the Eternals leave Earth to find more of their kind, while some stay on Earth, only to be captured by Erisham the Judge. So the whole ending in general, what'd you guys think? The actual being captured by Erisham, I was glad that happened because the whole time they're like walking around Earth and like reconciling and and all that after the events of the third act. I was like, does Erisham not care that they just like stopped the birth of another Celestial? And I was happy when he showed up. And I did think it was a great ending of him 
grabbing him, taking him off through a black hole, and then just cut to credits. I was like, wow, I can't wait to see what happens next. Really effective ending. Yeah, I like that ending as well. I mean, I, I did have a problem with, we already mentioned it, the Icarus flying into the sun. He flew too close to the sun, Keith. He really liked that story about him, so he just decided to make it true. <laughs> and then I didn't care for them when they turned Sprite into human. So oh. is Sprite not an internal anymore? Why does Sprite have to be in love with Icarus, too? That was the so character cliche. I referenced earlier that I thought it's no fault to the actress. Leah McHugh thought she did a fine job, but that character was... It almost like they put that character in so the audience could just like roll their eyes because I definitely was. I was like, oh, come on. Like her <laughs> only thing is that she's in love with them and has been. So whenever he turns against her entire family because she likes him, I guess she's like, no, I'll go with you. And it's like, why? <laughs> you agree with what he's doing? I guess not. But they never go into it. And then it's like, I want to be a human because I'm a kid. It's like, OK, whatever. It's also weird that she's seven, seven thousand years old, but is still acting like a child, too. Like, I get that they made her a child, but I feel like it would have been a lot more interesting if she was an adult in a child's body. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't really nail that aspect of it, for sure. What do you guys think of the Unimind concept? I thought it was weird that they acknowledge how dumb the name is. Like, why isn't it yes. Brainstorm? That was a little weird. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was, was a little so cheesy. Yeah, I like the idea a lot. I mean, it kind of played into the themes of the movie. It's like, we've disagreed in the past, but we have to come back together and us kind of uniting our powers and our souls and our beings or whatever. That's the only way to win. So it's a simple concept, but, you know, pretty effective. I realize this is such a tiny nitpicky thing, but was it jarring for you guys when Festus's son compares Icarus to Superman? Like, you're Superman, you're Superman. In my mind, I was like, are they reading DC Comics in the MCU? Like, are there are children print? Are they printing DC comics? I was thinking that too. Also, I was like, this must be one of the first times they've mentioned a DC character in a Marvel movie. It's one of those things that I think only bothers us. I don't think general audiences care at all. Like, oh, oh yeah, he is kind of like Superman. <laughs> but for us, I agree. It is kind of weird sometimes, like seeing other universes mentioned, and it's like, oh, that's kind of how does that play into it? It didn't really bother me, but it, it, it was a choice. So you know, definitely worth talking about. Are they leaving room for Superman and Batman to appear in MCU Phase 5? Can you imagine if, like, because DC will refuse to hire Henry Cavill for some reason, so he returns to play Superman <laughs> in the MCU? Oh, I love it. <laughs> Zack Snyder's directing. Another thing we got to talk about, we already kind of referenced it, but the Kit Harrington character by itself was very, was just a weird inclusion in the movie. And it's one of those things, like, we're talking about comics and stuff. I know who Dane Whitman is. I know he's the Black Knight in the comics, and that ties into the end credits scene. But they did zero setup in the movie. His family backstory is complicated. I know, but there is no way anybody that's a general audience member would be excited for this. Like, just seeing this character that they've seen for, like, three minutes previously in the movie just go, oh, I'm not talking about your secrets, I'm talking about mine. And they would go, oh, I guess that's why he's in the movie. And the Ed credit scene is, what? What's happening? Like, it just was not earned at all. But Matt, we're going to see Jon Snow wield a sword again. I know, I know. I know. What a dumb line, though. <laughs> Just like, I'm not talking about your secrets. I'm talking about mine. Oh, God. <laughs> Cersei! <laughs> well, with that, I guess let's talk about our future thoughts. Let's do some end credit talk. We talked about how we were confused earlier. We don't know how much we're going to learn now, but of course, Thena, Druig, and Makari leave Earth in their ship to go find more Eternals. And out of nowhere... A troll character that they call him, voiced by Patton Oswalt, comes out and is like, ba -ba -da -ba 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 -ba. It's Eros, brother of Thanos. Do you think he looks really hot, like Harry Styles? Why does he look like that? Why does Thanos look like he has a butt chin? Not entirely sure. What'd you guys think of this? Any, any thoughts on this weird credit sequence? The weirdest thing for me was that Eros was like, I'm an eternal, like you. Yeah. What? And then he has like he has like the weird sphere too. I, I like the Patton Oswalt goblin looking dude. I can picture him being with uh the raccoon from Guardians. Oh, oh, that'd be fun. Let's put some money on that. That's gonna happen, I think. Patton Oswalt and Bradley Cooper. Gah. The dream team. <laughs> <laughs> so I I don't know anything about Eros. I didn't even know Thanos had a brother. So is he a shapeshifter, like any of that stuff? Do we know? Not sure. Not sure. I knew going in, like, I know Thanos has, like, his genetics ties into the Eternals, but it's like, Thanos is an Eternal, but he has the deviant gene, so it kind of contributes to oh, his characterization. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So I knew, like, I guess maybe he has a family, but 
it is weird seeing just a guy that looks like Harry Styles <laughs> walk in and say they're the brother. It's like it, it made me ask questions. I'm assuming later it won't really matter. I was hoping since they called him the brother of Thanos that maybe he would comment on it. But I guess they'll save that for another movie. Like I really want to know like what his family members think of what Thanos did. That could be cool. Um, but honestly, my main takeaway from the scene is that, first of all, really, really happy that Thena is still alive because whenever they cast Angelina Jolie, I was like, it's a one and done. Oh, like, she's for not sure. coming back. And then I was surprised that Salma Hayek and Richard Madden are the ones that died and not her. So really happy that she had like a good character arc and really excited that they're looking for more Eternals. And that's clearly going to tie in with like Harry Styles. Like we got to go find your friends that got taken. So very excited for the future. The scene itself was weird, but mainly just glad that Thena is still there. And I got to say, Drew and Makari, guys, they had some good chemistry. I like them. So. They're going to have some fun on that ship, I think. And Makari knows her way around that ship because he tr- she trapped herself in there for thousands of years. <laughs> and he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna charm her. He's going to charm her because he's Irish. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Makari. <laughs> Want to go have some fun in the back room? <laughs> going to charm her. So, of course, we have another post credit scene. Uh, I, I will say I liked this one significantly less, but we see Dane Whitman, who just referenced his complicated family history opening a box that contains a sword which of course you know fans of the black knight from the comic i guess will know what the sword is but before you can touch it we hear a mysterious voice say are you sure you're ready for that dane whitman not sure if that's what he said but it was something like that um here's another example already we just talked about the last scene so they've confirmed that yes this is mahershala ali debuting in the mcu as blade we've known he was cast as Blade like three years ago, maybe. And they said phase five will be when the Blade movie comes. So it's still going to be a little while. And he'd made a voice cameo. And it's just kind of begs the question. Nobody in the audience cares about this. Like, I guess if you're a diehard fan and you look, if you go and do some research, like, oh, that was Mahershal Ali. Oh, he's playing Blade. That's cool. But in the context of the scene, none of that matters. <laughs> like, It just doesn't work on its own at all. It just kind of came out of nowhere, especially with that throwaway line in the movie of I've got complicated family history. I feel like you just save all that and do it in another movie and kind of earn his introduction a bit more. Whenever you think about it, it's like fucking Iron Man 1 was the first one of these movies. That post credit scene was kind of a similar vibe. Basically, it's like Tony Stark has just entered a bigger world that he didn't really know much about. And then he walks into his house and bam, oh my God, who's the shadowy figure? They turn around. Surprise. It's Samuel Jackson's Nick Fury setting up the future. How are we this many more movies in? Would it have been that big of a deal to show Mahershala Ali? <laughs> and at least if the audience like didn't know that he was Blade, they would still go, oh, I really like that guy. He's going to be in the future. That's cool. But they gave us nothing. Nobody's going to recognize his voice on its own. Maybe they haven't narrowed down his costume yet. Hmm. Probably probably not a good reason to have him do a voice cameo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to see more Karun. I really like that character. Yeah, he was fun. I liked him. I want. I hope his documentary about the Eternals goes viral. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll open the next one with like iPhone footage that he shot of Superman. Of Superman with with no lip. <laughs> That's how we're connecting the universes. Is Karun shot the <laughs> iPhone footage? <laughs> there you go. All right, guys. Before we close out, of course, we have to do our official Arnie's Award ceremony. So, what are you guys thinking? You want to give something positive, something negative? What are you feeling passionate about? What are you giving your award to today? Yeah, I'm going to be giving an award. Look, you guys know I love craft beer. I love those breweries. I love trying different beers, all the different styles of beers. I got to have it. I got to try it. But my award is the beer I never want to try. And that is Gilgamesh's spit beer. I have zero interest in that. Mm, Yeah, that sounded pretty terrible. His pie looked good, though. I was sad when he dropped it. I did. I know. Good. I was really sad when he God, dropped it. I was like, damn it, dude, why don't you just set it down? Why'd you have to just let it <laughs> fall like that? <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> I'm going to give the worst use of fame award. And I don't want to shame this guy too bad, but here's the thing. When you're Bill Skarsgård and you're going out and you're knocking it out of the park in the It movies, obviously you have big things ahead of you, right? You've just played Pennywise the Clown. People loved you. And then he signs on to do 12 lines as Crow in this movie. Whenever his name popped up in the credits, I was like, oh, I guess that was him. What a waste of time. Bill, 
We love you. We respect you. But this was not it. Marvel gypped you. <laughs> they tricked you, Bill. You're never going to be in another Marvel movie because you sold out to do Crow. Come on, man. What were you thinking? Well, he was only the voice. He could still come into the MCU as Bill. <laughs> as Bill? <laughs> as Bill? <laughs> as himself? <laughs> Did he did did Kingo and Bill Skarsgård star in a Bollywood film? Is that your suggestion? I'm gonna give the 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 ballsiest director award goes to Karun. I mean that guy just he had like eight cameras. I mean that's a lot. Yeah, I did I did love the scene when Kingo has his badass moment where he kills the deviant. He's like, "Did you get that?" And then Karun's like, "I got it, sir." <laughs> that was funny. That was the biggest laugh out loud moment for sure. Alrighty, so thank you so much, everybody, for listening. If you enjoy this episode, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really would appreciate that to continue to grow the show. Please leave us reviews as well, even if you don't want to write anything. Leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. We'll be back next week to continue our Spider-Man retrospective and review series in the lead-up to No Way Home coming out next month. We talked about Tobey Maguire and Sam Raimi's trilogy not too long ago, so this time, of course, we'll be covering the Andrew Garfield, Emma Stone, and Mark Webb collaboration. Are we excited about this, guys? I'm excited. I think Andrew Garfield didn't get a fair shot, and I can't wait to find out if that belief still holds strong after returning to these films. I'm excited as well. I've only seen each of these movies once in theaters and have not seen them since, so... Really can't remember too much, so maybe I'll like them this go around. Yeah, I'm with you, Keith. I haven't. I saw each of these once, and it was in theaters, so I have no idea what to expect. I didn't like them at the time, and I have such a love for the Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi era. So am I going to watch these and all of a sudden become a huge Andrew Garfield fan? I have no idea, or maybe I'll still not like them. Either way, can't wait to check it out, and I think that's going to be a fun episode. At least we'll for sure get some better special effects. That. I, I hope is true. I mean, <laughs> can you imagine if it's not? I don't want to be surprised. We'll see. Well, guys, and looking at our future schedule, I just saw we've got two open weeks on the calendar. Ooh. So, Keith, if anybody is listening that has a specific topic in mind, how should they get a hold of us? They can get a hold of us on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us the Arnie's Media at gmail.com. Feel free to send us a message at either one of those. Um, Besides that, let us know your thoughts on Eternals, your theories on the future of the MCU, and what you think of the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies for next week. Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. So with that, everybody, hope you enjoyed Eternals, and if you didn't, let us know why you didn't. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you next time. Have a good one. Release the Zao Cut. <laughs>